Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Stayed onside. The late man Matthews. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Matthews flipped it up for Marner. Mitch Marner centering. Hyman to the net. Scores. He took fast down and his shot trapped in the corner. All right, here we go. Episode 28 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network at Ken Stapon, at B McCarthy 95 at LeafSpot. And a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. BMAC, you like making money? Cash is king, bro. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. And now a payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf. And DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to get a front row seat in all the action, make a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. Draft your lineups and feel the sweat like never before. The moment means more when DraftKings when a DraftKings lineup is on the line. DraftKings has paid out more than seven billion dollars to users across all sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. So there's no better place to get in on the action. What do we want you to do? Download the DraftKings app and use promo code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN for a free entry on your first deposit only at DraftKings.com. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. BMAC, what's happening, brother? Hey, buddy. Just settling into this week. Hope you're doing well. Kicking ass this past weekend at the brewery. Just doing it all. I think you and I are like utility guys, but we thrive in that role. When I was uh, on my, I don't even know what how old I was. I was probably just like my fifth or sixth grade baseball team. I got the trophy at the end of the year for the utility player because my coach would just plug me in all over the place. <laughs> I didn't have one defined position. It's like I catch for two innings. I'd play first base for two innings. I'd play <laughs> left field for two innings. I was just moving yeah. all around the map. And it was just like, you know, you had to rotate players at that age group so that everybody got a chance to play. Right. So I was uh, the Swiss army knife for Big shout out to uh, Coach Clay Cullen. Hey, take that and run. Uh, we should mention too, this is uh, the Ty Domi edition, episode 28. Ty. Ty Domi. 
I mean, some nights I wish we kind of have him inserted into the bottom six, but man, <laughs> fine. It's like, you know, some the nights least... I wish we had him inserted <laughs> into the top six. Fair enough. I think some nights it obviously gets a little bit blown up, but you know, obviously when the Leafs lose a game, everyone's sour. When they drop two straight, it starts to build. And then obviously we know what a losing streak is. So I don't think anyone really has to worry after a two game skid. Uh, I would say that the Maple Leafs made Thatcher Demko look too good. Elite. I mean, yeah, th- there were times where, where he he was good and he made some some key timely saves. But you know, looking back to Saturday, Kenny, like Tavares' goal, that's a routine save. That's just a, ha- a half clapper over the blue line. He looked really bad on that, and I thought the Leafs had a, a an abundance of chances in both games to to make a game out of it and try and sneak out a few points. But unfortunately. They, they don't come out with any points, and now they got to reset for a big three-game set against the Jets. Yeah, I agree with you on the Tavares goal. And that was weird because Anderson basically gave up the same goal to Brock Besser coming the same way. Like sort of like a low low percentage shot from a bad angle, and Besser beats Anderson short side. It was certainly one that both goaltenders would want to have back. I don't really know what to make of this series. I, I'd like to say it's just a flush em series for the Leafs. They got outplayed in two games i think it's a little bit more embarrassing for toronto based off the fact that vancouver was playing this series without their number one center elias Pettersson. so you'd like to have those very two wins. yeah and like you said demko looked like they made demko look like an all-star in that and i'm not sure if it was more demko just playing really well or the leafs sort of letting off the gas a little bit after maybe just um you know exhausting all the emotion on the three-game set with edmonton but they drop both games to the lowly Canucks. I'll use the adjective lowly to describe them because it doesn't seem like this team's going to make the playoffs. I mean, for Christ's sake, Jimmy Benning had a press conference on Friday where he's basically just trying to put out the fire. I don't know. I don't know what the hell this guy was out there talking about. He's saying that, you know, like the team would be performing better if they had more time to practice or if the team was a little bit older, or like that people have to remember that's like a young group. And I'm like, man. The young group is not the issue with the Vancouver Canucks. I realize I shouldn't probably be talking smack against the Canucks after they just whooped us in a two-game series. But like that team is just has a ton of boat anchor contracts, most of which were signed, well, all of which at this point were signed by Jimmy Benning, and it's an underperforming group. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. They're up against the exact same challenges that every other team in the league is up against. So I don't want to hear, oh, yeah, we aren't having time to practice or it's a condensed schedule or – the opposition's tough. It's the same opposition that the Maple Leafs are playing. It's the same opposition that the Oilers, that the Jets. You can just roll through the whole division. Everybody's playing the exact same teams. So I don't really want to hear that from Jimmy Benning, but certainly the point being is that this team is reeling to the points where the GM is having to have an impromptu midseason press conference to try to put out fires. And ultimately, I think he ends up starting up a couple more. And you drop two straight to this team right after the press conference or in the middle of the press conference. I guess they lost game one, then they had the presser, and then they lost game two. So I don't know what to make of it. I guess it's just a flush them. Flush the two, forget about it, and move on to the tough three-game set against the Jets. If anything, this just kind of humanizes the Leafs because I don't think they were confident after that whooping against the Oilers. They were cocky. And this is a team that dominates the regular season, and there's a point where people are going to say, like, I don't care what you do. Individual accomplishments, record-setting, you know, stats no collectively. No, no, one, no one cares. No one gives a blank. It's ultimately with the seventh or eighth season under the Shanna plan and Kyle Dubas 
and the main core being around for the fifth season, it's all about the playoffs. And we've seen that any given night, a lowly team like the Knucks or the Sens can beat up lowly. on a top tier team. Lowly. Yeah. So <laughs> love it that. humanizes a, a, a dominant team right now that is still seven points ahead of a, the second place Jets. Listen, I want to, you know, feel like I'm just piling on Toronto right now for losing a couple of games. Like you're going to lose games in, I don't know how many games they're playing 56. It's a 56 yeah. game season. You're going to lose some games along the way that you're expected to win. We've already seen that. As you mentioned before, they've dropped a couple to the senators and you would love to have these wins against the Canucks. But the bottom line is this team has been steamrolling the opposition. So a little bump in the road here. Now you have to reset against a much more difficult Winnipeg team, which brings us to our poll. Uh, I asked the Leafs Forever fans how concerned they are after the Leafs dropped straight games to the Canucks. 47% saying not concerned, 18% somewhat concerned, 11.5% very concerned, and 23% is just pissed. <laughs> I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably a little straight bit up like, Yeah, just pissed off. Like I'm, I'm not going to lie. I get a little bit of joy. Every time the Maple Leafs play in Vancouver and the start time is seven o'clock Eastern. Oh, time. me too, man. It's a little, you know, hard. it just gives the Canucks fans the gears that they have to, you know, turn on the TV at four o'clock in the afternoon, basically just because Toronto's in town and they're flexing because they're the bigger market on hockey night, but Vancouver showed them. And I think that there's a lot of credence to what you said. Toronto is just coming off playing what I think is probably the second best team in the division, or at least who was playing like that at that point in time, a three game yeah. sweep of the Canucks outscoring or uh, the Oilers rather outscoring them 13 to one. And they just came in thinking that the Canucks were what they were just a bad team in the division looked right by them. And they got shown a thing or two. And like you said, on any given night, you can't look past the opposition. This is the NHL and it's hard to get points. And the Canucks showed them exactly why you can't look past any team or any goaltender on a given night. And you know what? When was the last time uh, Vancouver's top guns were all getting on the score sheet? I mean, for the last couple of weeks, Besser, Miller, Horvat, they weren't producing. And finally, on Saturday night, they all find the back of the net. I think out of the least top six, only Tavares did. VC, of course, starting to find the back of the net more frequently. Pierre Engvall had a nice snipe in the Thursday tilt. But again, yeah, the, the top six didn't really show up for the Maple Leafs. And, you know, we know how lethal Vancouver's top guns are especially you know making their impact known in, in the bubble last year so we know how lethal they can be and it was without Elias as well right I think that's the big part is like especially when a team has a top player out you have to take advantage now there's been a lot of smoke over the past couple days about Kyle Dubas potentially adding at the trade deadline and a lot of that is predicated based off the fact that the Leafs whooped the Oilers ass and now it's seeming like this team is going to have I don't want to call it an easy path. It's never an easy path in the playoffs. You have to win four games against tough opposition. But it seems like Toronto is in a good position, let's say, to make a decent playoff run this year. Like if I'm Toronto, I'm not feeling nervous about any of the teams in the Canadian division, and certainly not to the point where I would be feeling nervous if it was going to be Tampa Bay, Boston, or Florida, who I was potentially going to be playing in the first round. What do you make of the trade rumors? Um, <laughs> I saw Steve Simmons was... Uh, circling Nick Foligno as a potential trade part as a potential trade piece that the Leafs would be going after. I don't know if I put any stake into that. He's a pretty, uh, uh, I guess, highly paid third line center in Columbus. I don't know if they could squeeze him in under the cap, but what do you make of the trade rumors? Do you think uh, Kyle Dubas is going to sneak one out of, out of his sleeve here? I think these rumors are inevitable and I think they're well equipped to take on, you know, a, 
a top tier team after the second round because after the second round they're going to be hanging around with with the big boys like Tampa, Vegas, St. Louis and that's where their their talents and and style of play that Dubas has been trying to build is really going to hopefully uh turn it on when when it matters most. But I honestly think they're well equipped now to to take on those powerhouse teams. I don't really think an addition or, or a trade is necessary, but it's inevitable in Leafland. I think that Kyle Dubas is probably doing his due diligence, like you said, to sniff around to see what's available. I'm just looking at the cap of this team. I'm like, where, like, where are you going to squeeze it in? Like they're they're nice <laughs> names, like stall, like great, but yeah, how do you fit them in under the cap? Like we're we're pressed up against the ceiling right now. Yeah, and it's like unless you can find a guy who's on like a two million or three million dollar contract where it's a short term deal, and then the other team's willing to eat half the cap on the trade. Now, I'm not sure how it works. Like I see the Taylor Hall rumors floating around. And I'm like, that would be nice, certainly. But like, what's the cap hit going to be? Even if Buffalo hits half the salary, it's still going to be what? 3.5, 4 million bucks. How yeah. you squeeze that in if you're Toronto? Like they're already so tight. And it's like, you're going to have to ship out a piece that's been pretty essential to your lineup to this point to squeeze these players in. I think if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I like to come back to that cliche because there is really nothing that is glaring or drastically off, right? I mean, recency bias, people will be like, oh, they need to they need to touch this up after dropping two straights. Like, no, they no, they don't really. But I think obviously they're gonna he's gonna strongly pursue a trade and maybe try and acquire uh a top six because Dubis is a, a miracle worker. If he but can figure this out, like, personally, hey, I don't think it's necessary. Hey. Well, it's like it's on all those guys, right? It's him. It's Brandon Pridham, who, like, in large part, yeah, does the financial stuff and figures out like what they can squeeze in, what they can't squeeze in, and just gonna take some wizardry. I saw you tweeting about was it you tweeting about Gandalf or is that somebody else? Maybe no. it was uh, maybe it was my coworker, Radis Vandy, actually at TSN ten fifty. Anyways, um, it's going to take some wizardry to add anything to this team at this point in time, and I'm kind of with you. It's like I want to give up. And anything on our active roster to get anything back. And to be honest, it would also be nice for the Maple Leafs to have their own first round pick this year. I know yes. they ended up acquiring a first round pick this year by flipping Kapanen out. Um, but in the past several seasons, like they had to ship out their first round pick. I believe they shipped out the first rounder for Jake Muzzin a couple of years ago. They shipped out the first round pick to get out of the Patrick Marlowe deal uh, last year. And it just seem, seems like they're consistently shipping this thing out. Eventually, you're going to need to replenish the depth in your organization. And the high-round draft picks are going to be essential to do that, especially having high-round draft picks who are going to be able to come up and contribute at the NHL level at a very young age and fill in in the bottom six. Because we've long talked about the cap situation with this team. They're going to be up against it for the next several seasons. And it is what it is. Like the cap isn't expanding at all. I think that was sort of the idea when they signed a lot of these contracts that the cap would continue to, you know, expand a little bit, a couple million here, a couple million there, and you have a little bit more wiggle room. Now you look at it, it's like I don't even know how they're going to sign key players for this team for next season, including Zach Hyman. Right. And there's only so many players who are going to take contract haircuts, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys who love to come home and say, sure, I'll play. I'll play in Toronto and 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 take less because I know this team is is in it to win it right now. They're in win now mode, but only a few guys are going to do that. People are all ultimately going to go where the money's at. 
I think it's a, like just uh, on this before we head to around the league. I always find this kind of funny how everybody's like, oh, he should take the hometown discount. I'm like, all right, if you if this was you and you got offered you know, a promotion or you got offered you know, to the same position somewhere else. But somebody was like, yeah, we'll double your pay. But you have to move to California. It's like you're probably, you're probably like, yeah, I'm down. Like, let, let's do this thing. And then, like, at, meanwhile, these are the same people who are like, oh, you know what? Like, they should take less money. They should, you know, put the team first. It's like, who the hell is putting the team first? Yeah, Joe Schmo is just like, he should take a haircut and help the team. It's like, yeah, Joe from is, the bridge. Yeah. It's like, uh, no, this it's guy like was nobody. born in Illinois. He has no ties to Canada. Like, why would he want to take, like, everyone was like, Bozak should come back and take a discount, hometown discount. He's been here for nine years. It's like, Bozak's going to do what he wants to do, signs three years in St. Louis and gets a chip. So, yeah. <laughs> and, all, and also, it's like these are a lot of the players that they're like, oh, yeah, you should take a discount. It's like these are players that the fan base was running out of town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at points in time. They're like, oh, this guy sucks. He's not going to get it done. He's not first line center. Blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing you know, like he goes to, the, to use your Tyler Bozak example, he goes to St. Louis and wins the championship, I believe. <laughs> first year. Next, next year or two. Yeah, the first year. Uh, they had some good center depth. That's not a bad uh, offseason for St. Louis, adding Ryan O'Reilly and Tyler Bozak. Huge, man. All right, yeah, let's go to around the league. Let's, for them. Go, let's get there. So the Calgary Flames fire their coach. I don't think this comes as a big surprise based off the struggles that this team has had. Uh, a little bit of a surprise who they appointed. Daryl Sutter is back. In the- I'm not surprised. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm surprised just based off the fact that like this is a pretty old school guy. <laughs> they were actually talking about overdrive. It like made me it made me laugh a little bit because he's like a very just like you know farm guy. He talks he has like a lot of weird analogies like during the press conferences where he's just talking about like when you're stuck in the culverts and you know like when you're like just doing all this like whatever gang in the gritty areas. He's just like he's a funny guy to listen during the presser. Um, I wasn't expecting. I was expecting certainly a coaching change at some point for Calgary, especially because you got to see what you have in this core and at least bringing in a veteran presence like Sutter, he's going to be a no bullshit approach for this organization and really like give tree living an honest opinion about what they have and whether or not they need to ship some guys out of town. Yeah. And I know we were harping on Jeff Ward a few episodes ago saying who's going to get Nick's first, either him or Jim Benning as GM of the, of the Knucks, but oh. I, I kind of thought that it's kind of <laughs> similar to the way it, it unfolded for Peter Horacek, former interim coach of the Leafs in 1415. You know, Ward did everything he could. <laughs> he must but, not be named. But it, it's ultimately an, an interim role. And I think Calgary needs a kick in the derriere right now because they are capable of being a playoff team. Daryl Sutter, there's familiarity there. He's got two cups with L.A., he took Calgary to a cup final in 04, lost to the Bolts. So there's some unfinished business for Daryl Sutter. And he's a mean, mean dude. Doesn't take any bull crap. And, and the Flames are, are going to slowly realize that because they just didn't want to play under Ward. And it was it soon became apparent. So this, this, this is a necessary move. And I think a good move in, in hiring Daryl Sutter. Jimmy Benning says he needs two more years to turn that franchise around. I'm like, you've already had eight so <laughs> oh, I can't stand oh, no. it. I, can't. <sighs> I, I hate it when like GMs ask for more time when yeah. they 
already had so much time. Like like, you've had a decade. It's like it's like what was it like eight years ago? He's like, oh yeah, this will be a pretty quick job turning this franchise around. And then <laughs> eight years later, he's like, oh yeah, I need a couple more years just to get out of the, all the bad contracts I signed. I think with uh, with Sutter in particular. It's like you said, it's going to be a good evaluation and a good kickoff point to see what they really have. Uh, I do feel a little bit badly for Jeff Ward under the pretense that he just got the job. Like he was what appointed, like I believe he signed his contract at the beginning of this season. So I'm a little bit surprised that the shelf life was that short for him. But obviously the expectations in the Canadian division and when you have the national spotlight on a night in night out basis, there aren't going to be any you know, any punches held by any of these GMs. And you look at the first coaches fired. They're both by Canadian teams. They were discussing this on overdrive on TSN 1050 earlier this week. And I don't think that that's really a coincidence. I agree with Brian Hayes on that, that the spotlight of the Canadian division and being in this market. And it's like, we're hearing more about these teams out West on a consistent basis than we've ever heard before in the past. Cause everybody's like, just basically looking at the seven teams up here and nobody has any idea what the hell is going on with the other, you know, 26 teams down south of the border. It's like, all right, yeah, Washington's playing well, Boston's playing well, the Panthers are killing it, the Coyotes stink. Like it's like outside of that, like don't sleep on, on the oats, Kenny. I, I see that this uh, Kaprizov guy in uh, Minnesota is just wheeling and dealing. Yeah, like uh, on dollar a bill, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> he's unreal, and that sparks it. Yeah, that's this is a good question, actually, a good topic. Just offhand, what do you make of the whole like Kaprizov for the Calder conversation that's been cooking recently? Are you uh, for or against the twenty-three-year-old who's played several seasons in the NHL being considered a rookie? I'm against. I I, I think it's a nice. Uh, spark for minnesota because that franchise really hasn't had uh well they've really never really had a stud they tried to they tried to make it work with parise and, and sutter and they had them on mammoth deals they were supposed to be their two two guys and it hasn't really worked out i think he's been an unbelievable talent and he's had a fantastic rookie year remember this is a guy who, who was kind of a late bloomer right he was a, he was drafted a couple of years ago i think 2015 maybe but i think there's a, a lot of guys in front of him who are in worthy conversation he's he's done well and he and he's gonna keep producing and he's gonna you know give you a highlight real goal or assist but i i don't have him for for calder conversation for me i think that he's the definitive winner and the reason why is because the depth by the letter of the law he's a rookie so like it's pretty cut and dry to me i think that he is the rookie of the year based off the fact that that's the language that the nhl uses and you know is there probably some room to change the language in that trophy so that it's considered it can't consider you know players who have played you know five years in the khl and then they come over to the nhl and they're considered rookies still after playing five years of you know high-end professional hockey certainly i think there's some wiggle room for that but as the rules or as like the definitions written right now like he's a rookie and yeah it's kind of like you know if if you don't like it then you get voters have you know full disclosure to take that into consideration when they're casting their vote for who the rookie of the year is. So it's a, it's a completely up to you know the whoever has the votes to cast for the rookie of the year. But isn't but it more me, sorry. No, go ahead. But isn't it isn't it a bit different if you're a 19-year-old like Austin Matthews or Matt Barzell and you immediately impact the league before you're 20 years of age? 
Like, doesn't that uh, yeah, say it something is, more? It, it, it is different, but that's not Kaprizov's fault that he was just like playing in the KHL. I guess Minnesota could have called him over a little bit earlier if he want, they wanted to, but obviously they wanted to rest on their laurels and let him develop a little bit more in the K. And then he pops over and he's lighting it up. It's his first season in the NHL. We've seen that KHL players in a lot of circumstances have difficulty translating to the North American game, to the smaller ice surface, to the bigger, more physical players, and just to the talent overall talent level. Ilya Mikheyev was a top goal scorer in the KHL, and look at him. He can't like buy a goal right now in the NHL. So I think it's impressive what the kid has done. Uh, I do think that's more impressive if you're able to come in and dominate the league at 18, 19 years old, like we've seen certain players do, a la Austin Matthews, as you mentioned before. But I don't take anything away from Kaprizov based off the fact that he's a couple of years older than some of the other rookies in consideration. Fair enough. And I mentioned Matt Barzell, too, winning the Calder. And man, what I think that's goal of the year. The through the legs breakaway against the Sabres. That was unbelievable. I mean, this guy has just been remember, showing remember off. Guy, remember when this guy was not signed in the offseason? Everybody was oh. like, Lou, what are you doing? <laughs> like, Ruined. you gotta just give the guy a contract. Like, I don't know what the hell you're doing over there in uh the island. I mean, it ends up being a pretty uh team friendly, player friendly, nice uh, middle ground deal. But certainly uh for Isles fans, they'll be looking to get this guy locked up for the long, long term. Yeah. As being a cornerstone for their franchise moving forward. The Bruins could have had him. I believe they traded that pick away. So imagine imagine Barzell on the Bruins down the middle. Yikes. Ugh. Uh Keith Yandel plays his one thousandth game. So big congratulations to Keith. We just talked about his Ironman streak in the past. Very impressive. Uh, I want to get to the Tom Wilson hits on Brandon Carlo. Uh, gutless. Hey, gutless. Okay, gutless. Go, go off. I thought it was ridiculous. I think he should get 15 plus games. I don't think a seven games. Yeah, he got suspension. seven, right? I don't think that does it justice. I think okay, that was but, a, okay, a but ruthless well, hit. Let's talk prorated though, because in a 56 game season, Seven games is basically it's probably like ten or eleven games, right? So right. that's a pretty heavy suspension, I think, coming down from George Peros and the NHL uh, player safety board. I do think that Wilson came in pretty hot and heavy, and he uh, it, it seems like he was kind of going for the chest, or it was it was had the potential to be a clean hit, but they kind of mashed Carlos heads up against the boards. I think that the suspension is in large part based off reputation because I saw like worse hits that didn't get suspended like leo komarov had one over the weekend where he absolutely buried the guy from behind and i was like oh it's just a brutal to watch and it seemed like that was a more dangerous play than the tom wilson hit the tom wilson hit in large part was uh just ended up being considered dirty or whatever because he had such a huge size advantage as well on carlo now uh, having said that i think that you do have to lay up a bit if you're going into the boards and you see the guy and he's like, you're going to be drilling his head. It's like, I want to hear like the momentum's going forward and you can't slow it down. It's like, it's like, you don't have to just absolutely, you know, bury the guy. Like you have, you he's have in a vulnerable spot. Yeah. I, I look at, okay. And in a, in a full regular 82 games, it would be 15 plus games, but yes, to your point, because in a reduced Overrated. schedule, it's gotta be more, it's gotta be more than seven, Kenny. And was he fined? Uh, I, I, I don't, don't even know. think he I, was yeah, fined. I think, well, it's like likely you just missed the salary from the seven games that you get suspended for, right? I think so, he should have been fined on top of it if he wasn't. But anyways, I, like basically what I'm getting down to from this one is that I'd like to see more consistency from, from the, the league when it comes from the well from the officials and, and from the, the league. league. 
yeah. like what the league office, because like we always talk about how we want these kind of hits out of the game and there's no place for it anymore. And it's a very archaic, um, archaic play. But then at the same time, it's like it happens. It seems like there's one of these hits every, you know, two or three days in one game. And it's like some guys don't get suspended at all. And other guys end up getting, you know, seven or 10 games. So I'd like to see some more consistency if we actually want to get this out of the game of anytime there's like a questionable hit or a, a you know, a tough boarding call, like just gas them, gas them for a couple of games. And that that's ultimately like the only way that people will stop doing it is you got to hit them in your pocketbooks. Cause a lot of the time, these guys as well, they're like, I know Wilson's on a pretty healthy deal in Washington, but a lot of the time, the guys that are laying these hits aren't on, you know, massive contracts. So you miss 10 games or whatever. That's 10% of your salary for the year. And that's uh that's going to hit you in the pocketbook. If that's like a 10th of your salary or, you know, you know, 15% of your salary or whatever for the season. So I'd the like officials to gotta get their blank together. I mean, yeah. there was that hit that was, there was that hit on Kerfoot. I forget which opponent, but it was like on the numbers, clearly a board face first in the boards just missed. Like, how do you whiff on that? Yeah, it's dangerous. Maybe we need to bring the uh, stop signs back that they have in youth hockey. They put them yes. right on the back of the jersey and just says stop when uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you're coming into the boards to and somebody has their back turned to you. Yeah. So you know uh, not to just pile drive the guy into the boards and break their neck. <laughs> I need a bevy. Let's go to the library bar. Let's go. A little Monday morning hair of the dog for this guy. I had a couple of beers at the brewery last night, breaking my streak what? of dry March one week in. Wow. So not that's not very uh, not very impressive. Where's the willpower, man? There wasn't any willpower this week. I just went down there, was chatting with my boss a little bit. Next thing you know, yeah. Next thing you know, you have a couple a uh, couple sodas poured on the house. So uh, it's over, ladies and gentlemen. It is what it is. You had, you had to mail it in. Uh, so my hair of the dog bevy is going to be a, a Caesar. I've been known to drink that, not like just a regular nice. straight up Caesar. I want like the gin Caesar, no tequila Caesar, just like a regular. Caesar with the Clamato, a little bit of uh, Old Bay on the rim. Nothing fancy, no chicken wings, no bacon in there. I'm going with uh, Steph Curry at the library bar. Steph Curry winning the NBA's three-point shooting competition on the last shot on the money ball. So uh, (laughs) absolutely, like, leave it to Steph Curry to uh, make it a little bit more dramatic in the end, as if it was ever in doubt that this guy was going to win the NBA three-point shooting competition. But it was dramatic right up till the end. Kudos to all the other uh, players who were in there. Jason Tatum, I believe, was in the final rounds uh, as well, who wasn't able to dethrone the king. But this guy has been the best three-point shooter in the NBA for, it seems like, the last 10 years. Yeah. So no surprises to see him be able to drain the open looks. I've, I've seen the video of this guy where he basically hits 100 three-pointers in a row, like at practice. It's it's a cheat. Code, he, he, yeah, he's just he's just like coo- coolly, calmly making these shots. I could not hit the net with a puck a hundred times in a row if there was no goaltender and I was sitting in the slot. Like, there's probably one or two that I would wire above the net, and this guy's just draining buckets. It's so weird because it's such an unorthodox 
shooting rhythm cashes in from deep whenever he wants but i'm gonna stick with the nba and 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 go with blake griffin because he <laughs> is off it's to a the Brooklyn nets oh my god man i i am scared for the league if they don't win the title this year i'm just gonna i'm just gonna laugh all summer i think everybody will join me in in a giant laughter because management is just unloading and you got four absolute studs carrying the nets I don't know. I don't know who's going to contend with them in, in the East final, but they got to be an easy, an easy lock for the finals. How did that? Like, I have to like look at the details for this. I don't know how they had room to sign. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 was he? Did he just sign like on like a two million a year deal or something? Because he's just like, I want a chip. I'm going to buzz over here to Brooklyn. Uh, like, if you want like a secondary pick for me, who's going to be at the library bar? It's going to be Steve Nash. Who yeah. now has to manage all these personalities? Now he oh. has to. He was already has handful hands full with Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. You know, noted notable like big personas in the yeah. NBA. Difficult guys to handle. And now you toss another guy who uh, was, um, you know, a past and past another life and past times. You know, viewed as one of the most dominant big men in the NBA, and certainly he'll be able to contribute to that organization. I would have loved to see this the Toronto Raptors take a run at this guy. And I'm Me certain too. that Masai Ujiri was um, doing his diligence to see if he could add to the five spot in Toronto, which has certainly uh, been documented by myself on this podcast, but by uh, pundits and analysts alike as being a position of need for the Raptors. So this one kind of slips through Toronto's fingers, but my goodness, is Brooklyn going to be tough to beat in a seven-game series? Yikes. I'm scared. <laughs> I saw. I actually scared saw one. I remember what I was going to say. I actually saw that one tweet, uh, which is not my tweet of the day. We'll get to that in just a minute here. But it was uh, like the Morgan Freeman meme from Shawshank Redemption when he like walks out of the prison. He's just kind of yeah. like looking around. Like, it just, like in a way, he kind of like loves it there. Yeah, like he's like happy to be out, but you can tell they is like fond memories of like being in the prison. And he's just kind of like looking around, and they were like, "This is break Blake Griffin leaving Detroit." Griffin hightailed it out of Detroit. He was like, he probably said bye to Dwayne, Dwayne Casey. He was just like, I don't need to say bye to anybody else. Like I, I am, I'm out of here. See yeah, he, he was hopping on the private jet and was on his straight on his way to Newark Airport. Oh, God. Which is like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Have you been to Newark Airport? Because that reaction certainly w- <laughs> would be conducive. I've been um, to the Charlotte airport. Not much happening there. But Charlotte, what, North Carolina? Charlotte, North Carolina, yeah. Yeah, there's probably not much going on there. Newark is like, <laughs> you got you got LaGuardia, and you got JFK, and then you got Newark. And, like, Newark is just a disaster. It's, like, across the bridge in New Jersey, and it's just a, the biggest hole-in-the-wall airport ever. I really like Orlando's airport. They got this nice uh, Mexican restaurant in there. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, you go you there, you get, like, some, get some guacamole cooking, some pico de gallo. Yeah, one last one last bevy and one last little appetizer before you wrap up your trip. Orlando airport is, is very nice and clean. I, I enjoy it every time I go in there. Speaking of one last appy before we wrap up the podcast here, let's go to the tweet of the day. Uh, I'm going for our boy at Leafs all day. <laughs> he tweeted at Grandma Doobie. Can you believe this officiating and Marietta Dubis re- re- uh, replying to the gentleman saying this officiating is shameful is the ref and chief wa- chief watching those no names shame on you. So grandma <laughs> Dubis was not happy with the officiating this weekend and probably in large part 
based off the uh, little hip check to Austin Matthews as he was, uh, I believe, as Jake for Tannen. Yeah, threw a little hip check and open ice to Austin Matthews. Seems like interference to me, but obviously was not caught or called by the officials. Um, I generally look at you know complaints about the officials just saying you got flush it. Sometimes you get good officiating that favors your team. Sometimes you get bad officiating. I think oftentimes the team that's complaining about the officiating is the team that finds themselves on the wrong end of the score at the end of the game. But uh, I think it's uh, always hilarious when you can engage Grandma Doobie on Twitter, defending her grandson's honor to the NHL officials. Yeah, and hey, good for Jake Vertanen, man. In that first game, he effectively carried that win. He had the first goal, then he drew the penalty to lead to his second goal. So, I mean, last couple of weeks, there was a lot of trade rumors floating around, and we were like Bennett for Vertanen, and people were trying to blow that up. But it's good to see him get on get on the score sheet because uh, he's a good piece for Vancouver. We should also say uh, not the best outing. We didn't get into this earlier, but not the best outing for Hutchinson. I believe that was uh, one of the first of the year. Like he was playing pretty well up to this point, but I thought that in that first game against the Canucks, he definitely uh, left a little bit to be desired from the goaltending category for Toronto. I'm going to stick with hockey and, and go to Caroline Cameron at SN Carolyn. She goes, lesson of tonight, don't get too high or low on any team in the Scotia North. And it's true because on any given night, you, you can see you can see a blowout from a, a basement dweller. I mean, I brought it up <laughs> earlier, like the Sens beat the Flames 6-1. Abs beat the Jets 7-1 the other night. I mean, it just seems to be inconsistent sometimes. So don't take any, you know, don't just assume, you know, at the beginning of the year, people were like, oh, we're playing Ottawa tonight, or we got a three-game set against Ottawa. Time to eat, boys. Six points. Time to eat. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's definitely a lot of parity in the league, and we talk about it all the time. Uh, no team is as good as they are when they're just, like, rolling along. Like, the Leafs are not like as good of a team as it was indicated in that 13 to one ass whooping of the Oilers over the three game sets. Like they're a very good team. Don't get me wrong, but they aren't that good where they're going to be. You. Uh, and the Oilers yeah. aren't that bad. I know. Yeah. Oilers aren't that bad where they're going to get, you know, if they played another three game set, they're not going to, you know, duplicate that performance. They probably split the series, you know, one, one and one or something if they play the Oilers again. But yeah, it's just uh, the highs and lows, man. You can't look past any team, and the Canucks obviously a little bit more desperate. And certainly, when you when you're playing these teams that are lower down in the standings now, especially like Vancouver, who is basically like I think mathematically, you know, eliminated from the playoffs. I was looking at some analytics earlier that said they have a seven percent chance to make the playoffs at this point in time. And Jimmy Benning is talking about adding at the trade deadline. Where he's like, yeah, we'll uh, assess at the trade deadline. I, I hope he means, you know, shipping some guys out to build for the future, because this is, doesn't seem like a franchise that should be trading anything, essentially, especially future assets or prospects to be <laughs> adding any players for any sort of a playoff run. I, I feel like this is the yeah. Jimmy Benning, a great Jimmy Benning podcast. Jimmy Benning show. <laughs> Jimmy Benning is going to be losing more of his hair. By the day, by the end of the season, he's going to look like our former teacher, Hugh Burl. Oh, uh, let's get him on this podcast. He would love it. Yeah, true. We should uh, we should reach out to our former our former uh, professor at the College of Sports Media, Hugh Burl, and uh, get his take on the Toronto Maple Leafs and where they're heading. He is a huge ardent Habs fan. Jets and (laughs) Leafs have not played since January 18th. It's the only team the Leafs haven't had a little mini series with. So sure it's going to get chippy because if you remember back in January, there was a lot of chippiness towards the end of that game. I believe it was Neil Pionk 
who nailed Marner into the boards before he oh yeah he it tried with the empty netter yeah he yeah. tried to just bury Marner yeah and Marner and, just uh, kind of danced around him that was a weird play because on the broadcast it didn't really look like anything because they kind of missed the camera angle or like they cut they cut away I think right at the point when Marner was about, to, was about to um do the they dangle. missed the fireworks well it was kind of, it was kind of like he, Pionk came in to drill him. But they cut to a different angle, and it kind of just looked like Marner danced around him, but then like and then buried the empty netter. But then Marner was like chattering at Pionk in the corner. Everybody's like, pissed. "What the hell happened?" And it wasn't until the next day that I actually saw the clip where Pionk was like coming across, looking to lower the boom on Marner and just like yeah. absolutely nail him in the line, which is totally unnecessary. And Marner just uh, made him look like an idiot, just dancing around him and sending him straight into the boards with all his momentum. But yeah, certainly I uh, feel like there might be something to answer for for Pionk in this series. Uh, quickly on the way out here, what do you make of this series with the with, with the Jets? Uh, obviously a potent a potent team, uh, one of the deeper teams in the division, especially down the middle with Pierre Luc Dubois, Mark Shifley, a uh, great goaltender, and my and um, why can't I think of his name? Connor Hellebuck, former Vesna winner. Uh, what do you make? Was Toronto have to do in this series against Winnipeg to have success? Well, I think they match up considerably well on paper. I mean, this is a team that will give the Leafs headaches because their depth matches up quite well with the Leafs. But I think they have the edge because their bottom six is a bit stronger. And Kenny, Frederick Anderson, lifetime against the Jets, 10-0-2. He's never lost in regulation. Got a sub, sub 300 save percentage. So he's going to look to turn things around after a sour loss against the Knucks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at LeafsPod, at Ken Sapon, at McCarthy 95 at HockeyPodNet. We'll catch you next time.